Welcome to Talking on Tap, a podcast series from AB InBev. I'm your host, Elaine McCrimmon, Global Head of Reputation and External Engagement. The COVID-19 pandemic has tested all of us. And this past year has shown that as a business, we are resilient and agile. And by focusing on our purpose, bringing people together for a better world, we've been able to rapidly adapt to the changing needs of our consumers, customers, and communities. Reaching our consumers where they are and communicating with our partners and customers has always been a core strength of ours. And in this episode, we'll be examining some of the ways our marketing team and partners have met the COVID-19 challenges and opportunities. Today, we'll be joined by Pedro Arp, our Chief Marketing Officer and ZX Ventures Officer, And he'll be sharing some of the consumer habits that have changed and the trends that have accelerated during the pandemic, as well as how global collaboration was really the key to quick action in markets around the world. And then we'll be joined by Jodie Harris, our Global Vice President of Marketing, Culture and Capabilities. And Jodie will share how creativity has flourished and how we can develop creative capability in our teams. And finally, I'm very excited to be joined by two great leaders from Wyden and Kennedy, Neil Arthur, the Global Chief Operating Officer, and Carl Lieberman, the Global Chief Creative Officer, who'll be sharing their experiences about marketing to consumers during COVID-19 and some tips for success. Welcome to Talking on Tap. I'm very excited to introduce Pedro Arp, our Chief Marketing and ZX Ventures Officer. Pedro, welcome to the show. Thanks, Elaine. Great to be here. Let's go back. Can you tell us about the initial response when the pandemic first hit? Yeah. So again, being a global company and having access to markets like China, I think gave us an advantage of seeing what was coming very early on, right? So I remember it was beginning of March and we were already seeing the impact that the pandemic was having in China. And that allowed us to react very quickly. And also on the marketing side, we put a task force together on the very beginning of March. Global did that as well, right? And I think the first order of the day was to define what the priorities were going to be. And of course, the priorities had to be the safety of our people, of our communities. Yeah. But then... You know, think really what we could do for the communities that we serve and for our consumers. So that was kind of what we did. But again, seeing what was going on in China allowed us to react very fast. And how have we brought people together in a distance world? Yeah, so that was a change for us, right? Again, we're in the business of bringing people together. And we've always done that in a physical context. And we had to adapt like everybody else. A lot of the changes that are coming because of the pandemic, they are actually an acceleration of trends. So if you see, for example, people consuming alcohol and beer at home, that has been a trend that has been going on for a while. And the pandemic made us accelerate some of our efforts in that front, right? So from live streams that we had, we started in China, right? Mixing social and commerce to Brazil, where we had music live streams to fitness. We have the Michelob Ultra Movement here in the U.S., So we really needed to take a look at our consumers, how they change their behavior and how we needed to adapt the way we reach them. 
And so which consumer behaviors do you think are really going to stick? Yeah, again, I think a lot of these consumer trends that we saw accelerating during COVID, they've been there for a while. And some of them are even a little bit counterintuitive during times of crisis. So for example, we see premiumization continue to accelerate during the times of the pandemic. And premiumization has been a trend, a long-term trend in our business. Health and wellness is a second one, you know, very important. And we have Michelob Ultra, for example, and Seltzer's, you know, they are perceived as better for you. Products accelerating a lot during COVID. This whole thing about authenticity and purpose, right? And that one we leverage extremely well from the corporate standpoint, you know, with like the hospitals and the masks and hand sanitizer and everything that we could do. So again, it was good because we were already focused on a lot of the trends that we saw accelerating. So we could do a lot during the time of the pandemic. And how has ZX Ventures found innovative ways to pivot as well? Yeah, so ZX has been built on agile ways of working, right? And reacting fast, putting things out of the door really fast. I think what we've seen during COVID is the whole company working like that and not only marketing, but also in our corporate efforts and and all of that, right? So I think now the way that we've been able to collaborate globally in an agile way has been really a surprise on a positive way during the pandemic. And of course, some of those early investments have really come to show their true nature during this point in time where they have accelerated. You must be incredibly proud of some of those early insights and investments that were made. Yeah, especially on the technology side of the business. Some of the things that happened over the course of a year, it accelerated five years, right? So we thought that some of the things that we're seeing happening today in terms of the numbers, especially on our direct-to-consumer businesses happen so much faster than what we were anticipating because people were locked in home. And some of the inertia that usually prevents people from changing their habits was stopped. The inertia went away because people either they had to jump into the new platforms and new technologies or you know they wouldn't have products, for example, deliver at home. You know? so it has always been a struggle because every time you start investing on something that is going to take five years no, 10 years to pay back. Sometimes you always ask the question, when is it going to come or when is it going to pay back? And actually the COVID accelerated a lot of the technology platforms that we've been investing for a while. Yeah, really helping to solve those consumer pain points. And as a consumer myself, you definitely get used to them. And, you know, you almost want the speed of delivery. And it means that any country you move to, you want the same thing. And likewise, even for myself, having moved out of Manhattan into the burbs, some of those apps haven't quite picked up into the burbs yet, but hopefully soon. There's no turning back on that one. You know, I think a lot of the things that you've seen in terms of the habits, especially on the technology side, they're all going to be here to stay for sure. Yeah. So can you tell us about smart drinking and how we can nudge social norms there as well? So this has been a big focus for us, right? We have committed on investing more than $1 billion in social norms until 2025. And we feel that we need to do more. We have a big focus on App Lab. So just to mention one, one big priority for us is the expansion of Michelob Ultra globally, right? And Michelob Ultra is a brand with 3.5% ABV, you know, all over the world. So it's providing options for consumers to have, you know, a low alcohol intake for the occasions that they don't want to have a full strength here. And this is magic, you know, because it goes into the consumer trend. It's also great for smart drinking. 
And then it comes an initiative that it's very pro-business, but also the right thing for the world. And also the things, they, they all go hand in hand. And we've seen Michelob Ultra, uh, you know, a massive success in a lot of the markets that it's getting in. Yeah, it is a great brand, great tasting as well. One of my favorites. So what do you think are the biggest issues that are facing today's chief marketing officers? Yeah, I think the, the speed of change is, is insane, right? And with a lot of things during COVID that you know, we thought it would take years and years and years to materialize and to come about and become mainstream. And you have two options. You know, one option is pray for the world to go slower or adapt the ways you work to follow the pace that the world is moving. And I think actually there's really not an option. You know, you have to move and adapt the ways you work to the pace of change. This has been a massive challenge, I think, for CMOs because not only they have to launch new products, but even the ways of working and what is expected from the partners, it change. So being able to adapt and to move at the speed of the world, I think, has been the biggest challenge for all CMOs. So, Pedro, what have we learned during COVID-19 that we don't want to lose? Yeah, of course, we wish that COVID hadn't happened. Right. It has been very painful and there are a lot of markets that are still going through it. But I think given that it happened, I think the worst thing that we can do is not have learnings from it, you know, and something good out of such a bad situation. And for us, you know, in marketing, I think there are three things that kind of caught our attention during the pandemic that we don't want to lose, you know. So the first one is thinking about consumers as people instead of as consumers. You know, very early during the crisis, we kind of left aside a little bit our selling beer mode. And we really tried to step into people's shoes and say, look, what can we do that is going to be great for people and not necessarily for the business, you know, and that's why I think the company created the hand sanitizers. And yeah, I think the second one is global coordination. It was a different time because we faced the same challenge in all the countries at the same time, and that fostered a global collaboration. So we had a global call every week, you know, where we would share the whole world insights. People would pitch ideas the same week and would fund globally some of the ideas on how to help the communities, consumers and the trade to go over the crisis. So that's one thing, the enhanced global collaboration is something that I would love to maintain. And then the third one is agility. Again, some of the things couldn't wait. We were in a rush to put hand sanitizers out to help the trade for the trade not to go bankrupt. And so a lot of the things require agility. And that's a third one that I think we've never been more, more agile, you know. So if I had to point out these three things, thinking about people as people and not as consumers, yeah. a global coordination and agility, I think these things, I think we cannot afford to go back to the old world. Then finally, what practical tips would you give to an up-and-coming chief marketing officer? Clearly, keeping up with speed would be one of them that you've just given, but any others? Yeah, it's not only about being CMOs, you know, but being a leader. I think it's somewhat similar in respect on the function, which is always about having outstanding people. That's a yeah. secret kind of commonplace to talk about that. But over and over and over, you see that whenever you have an outstanding team and that behave like owners, they have big dreams. That's at the end what really makes the difference. And in the case of marketing, think always going where the puck will be or where consumers are heading and being one step ahead of the curve, it makes a massive difference. You know, working in ZX for a while, you know, you learn how tricky timing is. Because if you step one step behind, 
you don't survive, right? You're always catching up. And given the speed that things are happening right now, it's very hard to catch up if you're always one step behind. But also if you are two steps too early, you also don't survive, you know, because sometimes yeah. we don't have the patience to wait until these things come about. Again, you mentioned the direct-to-consumer platform. Some of them, we have them for five or six years, you know, and, and fortunately enough, we had the patience to keep investing and the team there, yeah. you know, had resilience to go through the cycle. And then the future finally came and found a platform that was ready for the times, you know. So I think having the right timing, I think is really key. So building the right team and timing is key. Thank you so much for sharing those tips and those thoughts with us today, Pedro. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Elaine. I'm very pleased to introduce Jodie Harris, our Vice President for Marketing, Culture and Capabilities. Jodie, welcome to the show. Hi, Elaine. It's so nice to hear you here. Yes. Can you tell us about how the marketing team has come together to collaborate this past year? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think like never before, the marketing team around the world has really just collaborated and has been so agile and flexible. I know we use those words a lot, but really we've never seen it like this before. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think Pedro mentioned this, but in March of last year, we created a global task force. And in that global task force, we created a program called Ideas for Good. Yeah. And the Ideas for Good program was basically an open brief for creativity for work around the world based on the consumer problems or people's problems, societal problems that we were facing at the start of the pandemic. And so out of that process, we had over 450 ideas. Wow. Solid ideas. Things like, you know, the hand sanitizer program. It just really evolved through that because we're able to yeah. use it as a best practice and scale it across different markets. We had things like in Brazil, the Sertanejo. It was one of the most successful, I think, YouTube live casts ever where Brahma was able to come to life and sponsor this and bring country music to the audiences at a time where it was just so somber. And with that, we actually introduced an innovation our Dupo Malt. And it happens to be one of the biggest innovations that we've ever had as a company. So it gave us a platform to just, you know, to think about how we can introduce new products as well. So the team really came together and we had cross-functional from different, you know, supply working together with innovation and, and marketing and sales and the trade teams. And we've never seen anything like this before because we were all focused on really urgent problems that we had to solve yeah. for society and for the consumers. So... It was incredible. Yeah. So can you tell us how you really maintain and build this culture of creativity? In some respects from what you've shared, it sounds like creativity almost increased. But how do you keep that up, especially, you know, within and outside of the business? Yeah, no, it's it's funny because people think, oh, I just need to go out and, you know, lock myself in a room and be creative or you can. But I find that the greatest creativity comes from a constraint or a barrier. Yeah. And you have to really think and be curious to figure out how to unlock that in an original way. And the way that we do this with the team is constant inspiration. Right? We have yeah. we hold spark sessions, we bring experts from, you know, all different sorts of fields of the industry, design experts, CMOs as well, to really just inspire people. And not just in a fluffy way, but how it relates back to the business. We also create safe places for people that they can take risks. 
right? So in the US, we actually have a room where people can go and write on the walls and just sort of bat ideas around in a safe environment, like literally a safe environment. And in other countries, we have smaller groups like study groups where people can bounce their ideas around. And then once they feel comfortable, they can take that to senior leadership. So it's about empowerment in that sense. And then the last, which is really important, is constant recognition of the people behind the work, not just the work, right? So you could say, oh, this is such a great campaign, rah, 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 go Budweiser. But it's really the people who work day and night, sweat, (laughs) yeah, to come up with these ideas um, and to get these ideas into the market successfully. So it's really about that celebration. And in fact, our Creative X Awards, our internal creativity awards this year, we recognized Michelob Ultra Courtside campaign that was launched during COVID. And it was the blood, sweat, and tears (laughs) of trying to execute that program with multiple partners like Microsoft and the NBA partnership to really make it a successful program throughout the NBA playoffs. Yeah. You know, we move at such speed, this organization, just taking that moment in time to really recognize and celebrate successes of the individuals and the teams behind that work. I love the Creative X Awards. They're really fantastic. So how has creativity helped you to overcome the barriers, you know, separating you from your audiences? Yeah. I mean, first we need to listen to people which means that we need to go where they're going. We need to be part of their conversation, as uncomfortable as it may be. (laughs) Then we need to understand within that space, what are their pain points? And in doing so, we can leverage new types of innovation to address their needs. So non-alcohol and low alcohol became such a game changer in some of the markets like Mexico and South Africa, where we weren't allowed to sell alcohol, for example. So this was a huge success for us in that sense. And also like our DTC platforms, the e-commerce area, we're we're benefiting both the consumer, but also the customer alike. So it's really about getting in deep and understanding what the audiences are and understanding throughout their journeys, what their pain points are that we can address. Yeah. And then can you give us an example now of a recent campaign which really used creativity to influence behavior change? Yeah. Well, I think there's two. <laughs> One's not a campaign and one is a campaign, if I can give an example. Sure. So first, campaign-wise, it's bigger than just a campaign. It's really the positioning. And that's what Stella Artois and the team worked so hard on really fine-tuning the positioning to make it not more modern, but to really go deep into understanding what their consumers need. And it's about time, special, yeah. precious time that they can spend together. And unfortunately, in the pandemic, it, <laughs> it separated us. So they pivoted their campaign and it is now together again in the Life Artois. And it's about supporting bars, it's supporting restaurants, there's social distancing measures in place as part of this program, but it's very uplifting and it's really about celebrating this quality time that we can now have again with our family and our friends. And then the second, and they may have talked about this earlier on the podcast, but I think what the U.S. has done with let's grab a beer, AB free beer for vaccinated people on July 4th. I mean, that's that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it picked up by so many news outlets and just friends outpouring. Oh, this is amazing. I can't believe yeah. it. <laughs> but it's not just about the beer, the free beer. Of course, people are excited about that, but it's about what it signifies. Yeah, your cheers, your cheers, right? It's with another person. It's about coming together again. And if anything speaks to our purpose as a company, it's something like this, right? Bringing people together. Yeah, yeah. Really bringing people together for a better world. So what do you think we will see more of as we look towards the end of 
2021. What between now and the end of the year, what do you think you'll see more of? Well, I think there's slow trends and there's fast trends, right? So slow trends would be, you know, like the farm to table movement that started in the late 70s and is now mainstream, right? Healthy food, heirloom tomatoes, things like that. And then the fast trends would be things like song of the year, color of the year, (laughs) artist of the year. And we as a company, we have to be good at both. And so our insights teams around the world, they work really hard to decode what those slow trends are so that we can stay a step ahead of and even be part of that growing trend. And then our teams like Draftline, they monitor the day-to-day conversations to see what's happening in popular culture. So DNI is going to continue to play a huge role in society. And we need to be a part of that conversation because of our scale, because of who we are as a company, and because it is absolutely the right thing to do, our people, as well as our our consumers and customers. So there's going to be a lot more, I think, of that. I think the evolution of technology is going to continue to just speed up (laughs) in favor of of answering the needs of the consumer. And it's up to us to leverage this as a capability in our company. And I know we're doing that with DTC and with bees. I think a lot more is going to come, especially as these bigger companies are just launching newer and fresher technologies and, and ways to reach the consumer. And then I think, of course, you know, as people come out of lockdown, euphoria is setting in. And I know that this isn't happening in every market, um, but we are monitoring this. And as people come together, there's going to be new ways that they're going to celebrate. So In the U.S., we're seeing a lot of parties, unfortunately. (laughs) Not ready for that yet. But, you know, I think people are just coming out of their shells, you know, and also people are being careful too. So there's new ways of socializing that we're monitoring. Yeah, and it really helps in terms of the overall recovery. So maybe if I can just ask you one final question, and it's more a general question on leadership or what you've learned over the past 12 to 18 months. Is there anything you can share with our listeners? Yes. These past 18 months have been brutal, <laughs> yeah. but they've also opened up so many opportunities. And I'm not talking about opportunities for just the business. I'm talking about opportunities for our people. And I'm going to use the word empathy because it has been a time where we really got to understand and know our teams and, and not just you know what's going to motivate them to do a better job and productivity. Of course, we understand that, but them as individuals, families, children coming on the Zoom. (laughs) Yeah. You know, people scared leaving the cities and buying homes in the suburbs. And that's a huge change. That's a huge shift. So I think having empathy and just understanding your teams and people at the company has been just such a game changer for me. And I hope that everybody else can practice this form of just being a human being, especially during this time. Thank you for sharing that, Jodie. And it's been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome. Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm very excited to introduce Neil Arthur, Global Chief Operating Officer, and Carl Lieberman, Global Chief Creative Officer from the world-leading independent creative agency, Wyden and Kennedy. It's totally awesome to have you on the show. Neil, Carl, welcome. Thank you so much. We're super honored and and humbled to be here. Thank you. So Neil, can you tell us about Widing and Kennedy? What has it been like over the past 18 months or so? How have you had to adapt? I, I guess we've kind of adapted in every way, to be honest. And I think it's been a real testament to kind of the resilience of the place and, and our clients. 
you know, I think there was moments at the beginning of the pandemic where you just question everything. It's like, well, will we exist as a business? How does this work? It got really existential, you know? And I think what was interesting is, is there was kind of a fight or flight response that happened. And it was super inspiring to see that basically everybody in the agency and our clients included chose to fight, you know, and get to work really quickly. We spent very little time and, and I give ABI tons of credit for this. We spent very little time worrying and we spent most of the time going right to work. And I think the, the biggest shift is that the boundary between client and agency just evaporated. We became one thing, you know, and we watched our teams morph together. And I think in the past, we would have worried that we would have lost some of our objectivity, some of our, you know, some of the superpower of an agency being on the outside. But actually, like, it's been really great. I think it's been awesome to see shared goals come together. And, And, you know, as an agency, you still hold on to your creative values. You still are a separate thing. You know, you might be living together, but you still have an identity that's separate. So for us, I think the biggest thing is that the boundary between the two entities has really dissipated in a really positive way. Yeah, we typically say even internally between functions, it's one team, one dream. So it really seems like that's been extended out to the agency as well. Great to hear that. So Carl, turning to you, what's been one of your favorite campaigns over the past year? I guess there's actually been more than one. It's, you know, we've actually been really proud of tons of the work we've been getting to do together. And honestly, as Neil said, it's never been truer than, than this year. We love making the most of the environment we've been in, however unfortunate it was. But we tried to make the most of it through, you know, topical activations like through the commission, which came at a really great time. Yeah. Chief meeting officer, right? The match. And then there were timely messaging, like the cardboard cutout for Bud Light yeah. or Welcome Back Sports or, you know, Let's Grab a Beer. And then like all the meaningful actions that we've been working on, and especially right now with Count Up to 70. Yeah, you mentioned Let's Grab a Beer. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that came to life? Yeah, this company is so amazing. And I I don't just say that as empty flattery. It's like, I think the thing that always blows us away about this company is just how ambitious it is in, in a positive way. You know, ideas always get bigger. They never get smaller. And that was a thing where we kind of, we were just sitting there going, hey, it'd be awesome if if the company stood up right now, you know, and spoke on the behalf of beer. And that's so risky in so many ways. It's like, well, what about our competitors? And how do we do that? And, and you know, um, and, and oftentimes that would take the form of kind of corporate messaging, you know, that you see like on Sunday morning talk shows. And I give Michelle so much credit because I think everybody recognized this moment and this was bigger than all of that. So put any sort of competitive instincts aside and let's stand up for beer, you know, and let's stand up for its meaning in society. And so that was the beginning of the conversation. And so we just had really great, big conversations about what is the value, the emotional significance of beer. And and it doesn't take you long to realize that it's hugely meaningful to all of us. And the thing that we missed, and you know, listen, there's lots that we missed, but but one of the things that we missed most is the chance to sit and have a beer with a friend, with a family member, with somebody you haven't seen in a long time. And it started with this, Carl had kind of said early on, he was like, when you say, let's grab a beer, it's so different than let's saying let's grab something anything else. Yeah. If I said let's grab a sandwich, that doesn't have <laughs> any sort of emotional heft. But when I say let's grab a beer, it's like yeah. oh, we're going to really value this time together. Yeah, we do love to dream big, and I think this is one of those examples. Uh, Carl, you want have any more thoughts on this? Well, yeah, that was the original notion was around that expression and all the different ways that could go. That could be a really meaningful thing. That could be a tough conversation. That could mean just catching up 
And so at the height of isolation, what we were thinking about as far as film was noticing that thing creeping into many of us where you're watching a movie or a TV show and you see people walk into a room together and they're like, hey, you're not supposed to be together. Uh, yeah, right. There's that weird, like deep instinct happening. And we were like, oh, we should work on that emotion and show people coming back together in a thing that just feels so foreign right now. And what we wanted to do is hopefully do it in a film that felt comforting in a way and felt like it gave you something really simple to look forward to because, you know, those dark winter months this year were tough on a lot of people. And we just kind of wanted to, in film, show people some form of hope moving forward. Yeah, I think that really came through from the pandemic. People really came back to this small and sort of very simple things in life, which are so important, whether that be, you know, your family, friends and taking your kid to school, like the actual ability to walk outside and the ability to actually have the school open. You know, those are exactly those key moments, like having a beer with the people who matter most. Yeah, Neil. Yeah, and I was just going to say that I think that the other thing that was super cool is if people are immediately recognized this wasn't just a film, right? This was yeah. a larger platform, right? And that platform has been for us kind of a guide through the different emotions of the recovery. You know, yeah. so we started with this first expression, the Super Bowl of like, let's appreciate and remember how much special those moments are. And then the next thing was, let's grab a beer safely. And it was yeah. just basically saying, even though we're on the cusp of kind of getting out there, Let's make sure to do it respectfully. And that was really nice. And then this latest iteration is kind of capturing the feeling of getting back out into the world, you know, and all the things that comes with all the awkwardness of kind of putting pants on, of saying hello to somebody. There's a lot of anxiety that's been built up over time, whether we know it or not. And it feels like we all kind of need a little bit of a push to go, okay, listen, we, we got this and it's going to be awesome. And so it was like another way for the company to kind of be there for our people, you know what I mean? And kind of recognize and appreciate what they're going through, good and bad or awkward, you know. And Carl, you want to talk us through the countdown? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Again, a, a similar thing. It started with an idea for a glass and volleying back and forth with everyone. It just got bigger and bigger and then became a visual. And then it became, all right, the notion was, hey, how could you get someone like like Joe Biden to tweet about it? That was sort of the gold standard of what we were trying to get to. And then my jaw fell on the floor when I saw him on the news talking about it. I think that was, again, the best example of the ambition of this place is really incredible. And you can go from an idea of a limited edition glass showing that we got up to 70% to the president himself talking about it. Yeah. And let's just do this. Let's get to that 70%, right? <laughs> totally. A few totally. weeks to go. Yeah, totally. So what are some of the other shifts and trends that you're seeing across other clients when it comes to marketing at the moment? Well, the, the biggest one is not much of a secret, honestly, but it's still really true, which is that for the first time in history, corporations are expected to stand up and have values themselves, right? So yeah. typically, corporations have been kind of almost a shell that kind of doesn't have to have a moat in a certain way. But like now people look at companies and because of all that's going on in the world and they want to know where, where companies stand, you know, what are our beliefs and things? And so we feel like brand has never been more important because you have to have a really clear sense of what your brand is. What do you believe in? What are your values? What are the things that you're willing to stand up for? What are the things that you're not? And we don't buy into the idea that you need to take a stand on everything, but you do need to know what is really important to you, you know, and then therefore what stance you'll take on it because you'll get called out and it can actually really impact your overall position in the business if you don't know those things. Yeah. So what trends do you think then are here to stay? Well, I think actions 
you know, not just ads, certainly. Yeah. I think that it's so clear now that an ad can be divorced from, and a consumer's mind can be separate from your beliefs and they have to be tied together. So it's not to say that there's no value in advertising. Of course there is, but it has to be connected to your actions, which are connected to your beliefs. So you have to have a much more consistent way of showing up. And consistency used to be like just the look and feel of things showing up at shelf, point of sale, and then the ad all look the same. But now consistency is in your convictions, consistency is in your values. And so we think that's here to stay for sure. And I don't think there's any plan in the world now that shouldn't have a real sense of action and what we're contributing to the world in a positive way. You know, we think that flexibility is here to stay. I think the idea of setting your plan and having it go unchanged for 24 months is never going to happen again. You know, and I think the pandemic has just accelerated that. And then I think the thing that Carl and I just kind of, why we we worry about is, is things that get too stunty. You know, we worry about stunts that kind of capture maybe the industry's attention, like on a Tuesday, but don't actually create any sort of meaningful long-term traction, you know? So that's one thing that we're kind of like, oh, let's be careful about that. Let's make sure that we're not just chasing a trend and kind of doing something that gets a headline. It's clickbaity. Let's make sure that everything we're doing, it's in line with the brand and the business that we're building. Yeah. I think a lot of us live on LinkedIn. But it's also important to make sure you're seeing the work we do on Facebook and seeing it on Twitter and yeah. just making sure we get outside of that, you know, the advertising bubble and, and just make sure your aunt or uncle are seeing it. You know, that's so true. I know we've done something awesome when I get my closest friends come back. Mm-hmm. And actually, the countdown was one of those times where I was inundated with mentions. So then in terms of work that you do really influences and shapes culture. Can you tell us some of the work that you're really most proud of? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we hold our work for ABI with the best of anything we do. That's always at the front of our presentations. And the thing we hold up to the agency is work we're super proud of. And then as far as other clients go, like, of course, we're always proud of Nike. You know, they're just fearless. And they stand behind their people when they're down or when they're under attack. Naomi Osaka is that latest example. Also recently, Black Girl Magic. They stay really close to their audience, right? With things like Play New and some of the editorial content we've been working on. They're not afraid to stand up for the issues that are important to them. And they always have been. We always know they're going to back their athlete. And you never see that more clearly than when you're on campus. Everything's named after an athlete. And I remember years before the Kaepernick piece came out, I was in a conference room, one of the head marketing people, and it was called the Colin Kaepernick Room. And there was a huge portrait of Colin on the wall and some of his gear in the room. And you know, they'd been backing him for a long time before that spot came out. And then McDonald's, of course, we're super proud of the voice they've carved out and how media agnostic they've become. I think some of our best work for that brand starts on social. And then, you know, they've got a ton of clients, so there's plenty of stuff we're proud of, but that jumps out to me right at the moment. Anything from your side, Neil? Uh, no, no, I think I'm just gonna double down on that list. Sounds good. Sounds good. So then moving to you, Carl, then on how we can really inspire creativity when so many teams are actually working from home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows it's been challenging, right? So just trying to over communicate with each other, check on each other more, focus on the important stuff. And we've just been connecting with each other on a different level because we've just been inside each other's homes, right? So to speak, like, You see our kids sitting in in our laps sometimes or having to make lunch or dinner. It's been a really interesting leveling of things for sure. And and then our people inspire creativity, right? Because they're just doing so many cool things outside of just making ads. So we're just trying to continue to encourage that, encourage people to keep writing screenplays, directing music videos, doing stand-up comedy, all sorts of things. 
just trying to, through this time, not lose what we think makes our people so interesting is that they have a big worldview versus just an advertising point of view. Makes sense. So a final question to both of you then would be what leadership lessons that you have that you can share with creatives that are really wanting to make it to the top? I guess I'll take that one first. I mean, it might sound dumb, but just study what it takes to be a creative leader, not just a great creative. You know, I've had the benefit of having a lot of bosses that are across the entire spectrum in this. And I've learned tons from each of them about what works and what motivates and also what doesn't. And for me personally, like I've always found books on leadership not particularly helpful, but I have found biographies of great creative leaders super helpful, whether that's like Walt Disney or Ed Catmull or Steve Jobs, Michael Eisner. Like I'm always trying to soak up anything from them and how they've built a creative culture. And Neil? Yeah, obviously I'm not a creative, but I do think in terms of a creative environment, it's just so important to like really understand and invest emotionally in people, like the whole person. And there's a real tendency to try to extract the thing that you want from somebody. So I need somebody to make an ad for Wyden McKennedy, but that's not really helpful or interesting. And if it's pretty dismissive. And so my background is as a kindergarten teacher. And I always say that's the most helpful experience that I've had because it's like, you just have to really understand where people are coming from and what's important to them. Because if you can figure that out, then it's like, oh man, then you get to align those people with the things that they're most personally passionate about. And then everything kind of unlocks. So for us, for, for Carl and I, like the biggest sense of joy and reward we get is when we see a person find their voice and direct it at a thing that like all lines up and you're like, wow. And it's super cool to see. And as brands become more purposeful, there's even more opportunities. We actually... For all of the change, we're just super optimistic about the type of work that we're doing now and the direction that we're headed. We think it's super cool. Yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. So Carl, Neil, thank you very much for joining the show. Hopefully have you on again at some point soon. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers. We'd love to. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Talking on Tap, a podcast series from AB InBev. I'm your host, Elaine McCrimmon, and we've been talking to Pedro Earp, our Chief Marketing and ZX Ventures Officer, Jody Harris, our Global Vice President of Marketing Culture and Capabilities, and Neil Arthur, Global Chief Operating Officer, and Carl Lieberman, Chief Creative Officer at Wyden & Kennedy. If you'd like to learn more, please visit ab-inbev.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you've enjoyed this series, then please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you think others will enjoy it too, please share with your family, friends, and colleagues. Thanks for joining us. We are AB InBev. This is Margot Miller from the AB InBev legal team. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by AB InBev solely for informational purposes and is general in nature. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of AB InBev, are not necessarily those of AB InBev and may not be current. AB InBev does not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the content contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, is expressly disclaimed.
Certain of the statements may have been forward-looking in nature and based on the current expectations and views of future events and developments of the speakers and are naturally subject to uncertainty and changes in circumstances. AB InBev does not undertake any obligation to provide any form of update, amendment, change, or correction to any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions set forth in this podcast.